Isn't that beautiful? Colleen is at the back for all of you with children. You can go back and get your Bible bags. All the rest of us, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel is near the beginning of the Old Testament. It's one of the books of history. And it, of course, as the name implies, tells the story of Samuel, the last of the prophets. Samuel chapter 8. We're going to start with verse 4 in just a moment. As you can see in the bulletin, I titled today's study, The Royal Temptation. And I do not mean that there are some temptations that are somehow regal, uh, or that there's the queen of the temptations in our lives. I mean it in a quite literal sense. There is a temptation that comes upon us as human beings where we decide we want a human king instead of God as king. It's the royal temptation. We see this in virtually every election. We're entering into it. Uh, I've heard people say already they're tired of the candidates and we're a year away. But they promise us things that really only God could provide. And so we're tempted in that moment to actually think that perhaps a human being could do what it is they're offering to do. We also see it in diabolic form uh, down through history where mind purer captured the imagination and desires of those who follow. As you may know in the German language, mein Führer means my leader or my guide. But as it was acted out in Nazi Germany, the leadership was so consolidated under Hitler that he not only took over the state, but he took over the church and made it a state church, rejecting the believing church and the believers who followed Christ were stuck out. And so Mein Fuhrer then became, in fact, my savior, not just politically, but in the state church. Now, we see it, of course, in Nazi Germany in this obvious form of diabolic rejection of God, which is the, the coarsest form of that. And we see it, of course, in what happened then, the subsequent attacks upon the people of God, not just Israel, but Christians, uh, Poland lost many Christians by that diabolical replacement of God with mind fewer and what it is he wanted to do with their lives. But that serves, and it's not appropriate to think that the Nazi Germany experience is an exception. It is, in fact, a symptom. It may be a, a gross uh, enlargement of the symptom, but it's a symptom of any situation in which we make the choice to replace God with human leaders. When we choose a human leader to replace God, then the consequences of such a choice at every level of life, our social life, our political, our financial life, our familial uh, life, and of course our spiritual life, are in fact deformed. And the effect is devastating to an individual and to a nation and to a world. Thus, even in democracy, <clears throat> when we choose to follow human leaders and give them the position in our lives of deciding ultimate questions, as our democracy is developing, where we are turning it over to human beings to decide the value of human life or the definition of marriage, then we suffer the consequences of such, of such a choice at every level of our mutual and shared existence. 
Now, this is nothing new. The text, of course, that we're about to read in Samuel describes the moment in Israel's history where they decided we're no longer going to follow these leaders who are following God. We are now going to make ourselves, just like everybody else, a human king. And we are going to reject, then, God. We want to be, as they describe it, like all the other nations. To go back, the year is 1100 B.C. We know that from the best of our archaeological and historical evidence. The Exodus, where Moses took the people from the slavery of that atrocious Egyptian world and led them through the water into the Promised Land, was 350 years ago. So within 350 years, these people of God who had followed God into the wilderness and to the promised land have now decided that that God that has led them out of slavery and into freedom is not really able to lead them, that they need to have a king just like everyone else. And so they reject God and thus begins the season of the kings of Israel. And as you know, as you study the kings of Israel, as they follow God, things go well. When they don't, things are devastating until finally the whole of the nation is lost and all comes under subjection because of its internal life and its internal allegiances. But in this moment, we're going back and it's the very beginning of that choice to reject God and to follow human beings and to let them define for us what it means to live life, even in a democracy. So the question is, will we allow God to be our leader and guide us in life? Or will we choose to put ourselves ultimately in the hands of a human? So let's go to the history book. It's 3,100 years ago, 1 Samuel chapter 8. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king, and he said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots, that means with his armies, with his horses, and they will run in front of his chariots as warriors. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his forest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. You can get this military-industrial complex kind of concept. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields 
and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. And then skipping down to the 11th chapter, the conclusion of this. When Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal, and they made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Now keep that open before you. Let's pray. Father, we cannot say, either as a human race or as your own people, that you haven't told us what choices produce what effects. You don't just cause us to bump our heads against a wall and then try to change. You've warned us. You've told us. And yet even now, 3,000 years after these words, we are still captivated by the thought that human beings and different systems could in fact answer these ultimate questions. May we, who are your people, who have gathered in your place, in your name today, be able to let you be king of our lives. And may we respond to your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's so much here that has proven itself to be true in all the various cultures and all the various political systems and economic systems throughout time. It's also true in modern democracy. What was intended to be a community of God, under God, with personal responsibility and God's morality bringing long life and prosperity to those who follow the Deuteronomic way, has in fact been replaced with human systems. These systems are horribly intrusive into the lives of God's people. They are very expensive and they are ineffective. A system that takes our children and our money and our freedom to fuel it. Now, there's so much here <clears throat> that I hope you'll take the time to discuss this with your friends and your family and in your small groups and in your Bible studies. But for now, we're going to focus on just one statement that's made in this warning to us about trusting human leaders instead of God. It is found in verse 19. And it has three components to it. The people refuse to listen to Samuel and all the warnings that have shown themselves to be true, of course. No, they said, we want a king over us. And there are three reasons 
Then we'll be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us, to go out before us, and to fight our battles. Notice they want to be like all the other nations. They reject the uniqueness of what it is to be a child of God, to follow God, to let Jesus be our king and our Lord. They want to be just like everybody else. They reject the uniqueness of that wonderful life of belonging to God. They want a human leader to go out before them. They reject God as their guide. They want someone else to guide them, show them the way, the path. They want this leader to fight their battles for them. It's that last phrase that is so telling, ignoring the fact that human leaders take our children and our money and fight our battles with our most precious resources and beloved ones. It's the turning over of our responsibility for our lives and our struggles and our battles to a human leader that is so devastating to human beings. Virtually everything we are facing today as a consequence of human leaders is our abnegation of personal responsibility and expecting them to solve the problems for us where we don't do the hard things. Let me say it again. Virtually everything we are facing today, the warring madness, the unbelievable inequity between the rich and the poor, the prideful arrogance of nations, the disregard for human life, the lack of compassion for the sojourner, the slave, the illiterate. Virtually everything we are facing today is a consequence of human leaders, and it's an abnegation of our personal responsibility to be involved in the solution of those problems. We reject what God has taught us, and instead we think that something from human wisdom will solve it. The core of Christian teaching is responsible grace. We are taught that God gives his grace and his power to us. And we are responsible then to follow him and live in righteousness, as we studied just a few weeks ago. Righteousness means right relationship with our creator and God and king and Lord. It's righteousness with others as we live in the right way with one another that blesses them and cares for them, that's one with them. As we take responsibility, personal responsibility, responsible grace, God's working through us to make the world right. Now that, of course, is a daily response. In a hundred small and large ways, we seek God's guidance. We seek God's solution and grace at work in us to bring our battles to an end and to bring reconciliation as we'll talk about next week. This wonderful ministry of reconciliation and love and grace with God. The greatest symbol of that choice that we make is the sacrament itself. It is a moment where we confess that we have sinned and that we need God's grace to both forgive and to cleanse us and to empower us to lead new lives such that we become the solution to this difficult world in which we've now 
created through human choice. It's the moment when we as a community accept the responsibility for one another as we commune together as a community of God. It's a moment when we invite everyone to the foot of the cross in equal status and stature and placement, where every individual is equal before God, no exceptions, where everyone is welcome to the foot of the cross, and everyone is allowed to experience his wonderful grace in our lives. And so this morning we invite everyone. As you know, we serve open sacrament, open table, open communion. It's welcome to every person anywhere. As you say the words, as you allow the words to be your words of confession to God, as we prepare our hearts to partake of the blessed sacrament, we are allowing God to be God, Lord and King. We put ourselves in personal responsibility for what it is that he wants to do in us and through us in this world. 